Okay, so it's started up. Um, start with what we're doing today. So, obviously, we're going to be finally jumping into the play itself. And we're also going to... Well, but basically, that's about it. I want to start, though, with this. There's a reading assignment from this for Friday. And I don't want you to read the whole book. I mean, it, it just says the, the book. We've already looked at chapter uh, two, the Holy Theater. So take a look from here at chapter three, the Rough Theater, and that'll be pages 65 through 97. Um, so skim that. It's actually a pretty easy read. And we'll discuss that, and then we'll discuss a little Moliere. Um, another thing, just to do some housekeeping, I also wanted to, to mention is that, uh, sorry, the movie isn't working. So I, I made a link to a movie on Amazon. Apparently it is no longer playing in our area. I have absolutely no idea what that means, but you know, apparently this part of Connecticut is banned from watching versions of Moliere on Amazon. So together we will suffer, but together we will prevail. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, so don't worry about watching anything. We'll just work with the text. Um, and then next week, we'll be able to watch some kind of enjoyable French comedy in uh, The Triumph of Love. Uh, and that's not a, a play a lot of people teach, but there's just a really good film version of it. So hopefully we'll have a little more fun with that. Um, but now I just want to open it up to any questions about uh, the class more broadly. Um, Oh, and your, your papers will all get graded within probably uh, by next Wednesday. Everyone's will be done. Um, I've, you know, I've already started on them, so. Good. Uh, any questions at all? Okay, great. So let's get into the play. Um, any kind of opening comments about the the play? Any feeling about it? Has anybody read this before? Okay. So no one has read this before? Okay. Okay. Good. So uh, that that is interesting. I um, I was surprised. I thought people might have uh, encountered this before. Uh, what did people think of it? It's, you know, very different from what we've been doing. Okay. Didn't mind it. That, that's a good start. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I wonder if part of that's it's in translation. I mean, I guess the the you know Roman and Greek plays have been in translation too, um, but this was specifically translated for uh, a New York audience. I think Richard Wilbur did the translation for like a. 1960s audience or something like that um it's also the the pro style we talked about this a little bit on um excuse me the poetry style we talked about this a little bit on monday is is much more regulated than shakespeare i mean shakespeare has a lot more variation in what he does but this is kind of like the, the rhyming couplets require uh, i think a little more plain speak so to speak 
um, throughout this work. Okay, but let's let's jump into it a little more, a little more thoroughly in this. Um, so let's start with the the main plot. So what is real? What is the conflict in the play? Any idea what the what is the major conflict? So we have uh, a few characters, um, and we have a few characters kind of in in romantic positions vis-a-vis -vis one another. So Alcest is is our main character, and also our title character, and he's in love with with who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Selimon. Mm-hmm. Selimine. Sure. 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 Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Sel E Mon is is the person. Great, good. Um, and what is the main th problem their relationship has? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So she's um, she's perfectly happy. Uh, being an object of admiration, absolutely, and she's also um, kind of permanent. She she's committed to not making a choice. Right? We get the letter at the end of the play, which exposes that she's very willing to mock a lot of people. She says she has affection for. So, yeah, she she's you know uh, she has a lot of suitors, and what's his problem? Assessed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he has a problem with her, um, her having other other potential lovers. Right? He, he has a problem with that. And it's part of a larger problem he has. Right? So he doesn't like the fact that she's, you know, being charmed by by other men. Um, but her other charmers don't like that either, right? Uh, we have the, the kind of argument between Cleon and Elkest, the, the, the two marquis who go, you know, who are, who are having a conversation, I think in Act 3, about how they both want... Uh, Silimon and and they, you know, they, they can't have her. So so people, other people are not happy about um, about her kind of flirtations either. Her other lovers aren't happy, but Alceste has a, a particular problem, and what is his particular problem? And it's not just with her. And Jude, did you or you were going to say something? Yep, exactly. So that, that's what a misanthrope is. A misanthrope is somebody who dislikes 
dislikes people. Miss means against. Anthrop refers to um, is you know a phrase referring to people or a word rather referring to people. So he's kind of against people. He's against society, and we see this on page his long speech that starts on page five thirty. Um, you know where he he's going on and on about the the courts and whatnot. Um, it's line forty one. No, no, this formula, you'll have me follow, however fashionable, is false and hollow, and I despise the frenzied operations of all those batterers of protestations, these lavishers of meaningless embraces, these utterers of, of obliging commonplaces, who court and flatter everyone on earth and praise the fool no less than the man of worth. Should you rejoice that someone fondles you, offers his love and services, swears to be true, and fills your ears with praises of your name? When to the first damned fopped he'll say the same? No, no, self-respecting heart would dream of prizing so promiscuous an esteem. Dot, dot, dot. Going to the bottom here. Um, line 61. I spurn the easy tribute of a heart which will not set the worthy man apart. I choose, sir, to be chosen. And in fine, the friend of mankind is no friend of mine. So... As you guys are saying, his um, his problem is he, he just kind of thinks all of... Uh, he thinks people are false, or are, are kind of are, uh, flatterers, um, that, you know, they're, they're not being truthful. And he, um, he... His problem, and we can see it in these last few lines here, I spurn the easy tribute of a heart which will not set the worthy man apart. Um, you know, the friend of mankind is no friend of mine. So we get this idea that the the flatterer kind of reduces who is worthy, who's, by worthy, I think he means who's um, maybe more talented or, or more interesting or more uh, philosophical, um, who's better than other people and then the friend of mankind is no friend of mine. So this is this idea of society, of groups of people in some kind of way or form that when you group people together in some way, you're going to get dishonesty. You're going to get flattery. Uh, and why is that a difficulty, for, a difficulty in this play? What world are they living in? Can we describe the world in which these characters are occupying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a very much a court world. And we are, the whole play takes place in Cleomon's house. Uh, so, you know, it's people going in and out of her house. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, but it's also the, the court world is what everyone here is a part of. And, and even Alceste, even though he, he doesn't want to be a part of it, he's drawn into it. But he has to he has to participate um, even though he doesn't want to and how would you 
describe this court world? And Judy did a little bit of, of description here. There is, uh, I, I, you broke up a little bit, so I don't know if I caught everything you said, but you mentioned there's this idea of um, kind of regulated manners and the like, very similar to, to Oscar Wilde. Okay, but what? Uh, how else can we describe this court? Or how you can imagine the court? We're never actually at court in the play. It's, it's always in the background. Okay, so let's let's actually um, let's see uh, what uh, uh, Filon says about about court. Now, who's who's Filon? Anybody remember who that character is? P H I L I N T E. Mm-hmm. He's his friend, and he's also. Uh, a foil. That's how he's written. So what what would be a foil? The foil's a character that is there to, to um, show certain aspects of another character or they bring out um, certain... Or they show certain... They like to develop other characters just by being there. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. So a foil is going to is going to be somebody who has opposite characteristics of a character, and therefore, yes, you're right. Bring out the um, excuse me. Bring out the main features of that character. So it, it wouldn't be a fool necessarily, Mia. A foil can be. Um, like uh, uh, Philant is is perfectly intelligent and stable. He is, you know, he isn't foolish at all. I think Alceste is probably more foolish, but Philant is the opposite of Alceste. And in being the opposite, he helps us see Alceste more clearly. Right? We know that we're not in a world of Alcestes. Right? He he is the exception, and Philant is more of um, a, a person more median in society. We see more people like Philon, or we can imagine more people like Philon in this world. So let's see what he has to say about court and polite society more generally, so we can get a feeling of um, what this court is like. And I'm just going to keep going on that same page we started. So this is line 65. This is Philon's response to Alceste. But in polite society, custom decrees that we show certain outward courtesies. And then Alcest responds, um, Ah, no, we should condemn with all our force such false and artificial intercourse. Let men behave like men. Let them display their inmost hearts in everything they say. Let the hearts speak, and let our sentiments not mask themselves in silly compliments. And then Philant responds, In certain cases it would be uncouth and most absurd to speak the naked truth. With all respect for your exalted notions, 
It's often best to veil one's true emotions. What is the social fabric come undone, if we were wholly frank with everyone? Suppose you met with someone you couldn't bear. Would you inform him of it then and there? Okay. Um, and then Elsa says yes, and, and then Fulon kind of challenges him with a few examples, which Elsa just says, I'll be honest. So we have a contention between kind of two energies here, absolute honesty, and then um, what we might call decorum, or, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, kind of the protection of the social fabric. Um, and so what function does the court provide in this world? Right, the court provides a standard, and what does that standard allow people to do? Okay, or or if we if we speak maybe a little more more fundamentally, what are the different positions that these two characters have when it comes to polite society? Okay, good, and and so uh, Philon is like you said, he's not quite, he's not a, a front. Um, but why isn't he up front? What does he say? What is it? What is the point of, um, veiling the truth, right? Or what he says on line 76, veil one's true emotions. Oh, I got something from me here. Um. Okay, good. So, so everybody can see the, the chat box, and, and Mia has placed something in here. Um, so, politeness is a purpose in accomplishing things. Good. It it allows the social fabric to exist. So, you know what he's saying is whole frankness will just kind of dissolve the the social fabric. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree, Mia. You, but Mia, you're also saying that Alcest sees honesty as the only way to go about situations. So what do you mean by that, go about situations? Okay. This is that honesty is the only way to respond, even if you offend. Good. Now, Alcest is also not concerned with the social fabric. So honesty is the way to respond to others, certainly. Um... But I don't know if it's the way... I, I don't know if Alceste is really positing a, a universal rule. And if we go to the second column of page 530, um, this is his kind of view of the world. In this regard, there's none I choose to spare. This is line 88. In this regard, there's nothing I choose to spare. All are corrupt. There's nothing to be seen in court or town, but aggravates my spleen. I fall into deep gloom and melancholy when I survey the scene of human folly, finding on every hand base flattery, injustice, fraud, self-interest, treachery. Ah, it's too much. Mankind has grown so base. I mean to break with the whole human race. Uh, and then Philant responds, This philosophic rage is a bit extreme. You've no idea how comical you seem. Indeed, we're like those brothers in the play called School for Husbands, one of whom was Prey. Um... Then let's have no more tirades. This is Philon again. If you please, the world won't change. Whatever you do, 
So, and I'm, I'm going to stop there because I'm, I'm now just reading. Um, but uh, Alceste is not really concerned with establishing or maintaining the social fabric. So it's not so much that Filon and Alceste have different ways of managing the social. Philant wants to maintain the social, and Alceste wants to break with it. He thinks there's nothing of value there. So we have, um, you know, one view which is societal, let's maintain society, and this is a point. And the, the court has a point, which is it creates these sort of standards of behavior, even if they are kind of stupid sometimes, even if they are a little ridiculous, even if they do um, require a bit of falseness, you know, which we see with the, the court case, with the poem. Um, even if they require a bit of uh, falseness, the court still creates standards by which people can communicate with each other, can exist um, through these, these types of hierarchies. And Alceste is not interested, he's not like the, the democratic force, right? He's not interested in coming in and making everyone equal or, um, or mocking the court in order to set up something better. Right. Alceste is a misanthrope. He's he wants he's he wants to go away from everything. He wants to be apart from everything, um, which makes his choice of of love interest much more ridiculous because she is very much a a creature of the court. She's a creature of society. So, taking a look at at those kind of that that position of these two. Um, these two different people, these two di kind of different worldviews. Uh, how do you think the play treats these worldviews? Sure. So how does Moliere... Okay, the question, yeah, is a bit confusing. Um, how does Moliere feel about... Or how do the other characters feel about um, Alceste and how... He, he sees the world, how he has intolerance for the people around him. Good. Yeah, it, it's kind of a ridiculous way of going about things. Um, and how about Filon? How is uh, how is his how is his worldview embraced in the play? Is that also mocked or sent up for ridicule, or? Do you mean Oran, the, uh, the like the the sonneteer who sues him? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So I, I I think that 
That, that, that's right. That really, Alcestis' worldview isn't stable. It doesn't allow for anything. And um, Philon is, even though this world is kind of is ridiculous, he says that that we need to have kind of a little bit of tolerance for people. We need to be able to give a little bit. So this is on page uh, 531 on um, line 145 here. And this is Philon. Uh, Come, let's forget the follies of the times and pardon mankind for its petty crimes. Let's have an end of ranting and railing and show some leniency towards human failing. Um, the world requires a pliant rectitude to stern a virtue makes one stiff and rude. So the, this is a kind of idea of tolerance. That society is ridiculous, that the court is ridiculous. However, it it requires you to be tolerant of other people, right? Which, which is what Philon's point. And, it, you know, it may be that um, people are people are not necessarily doing what we want or behaving in the in the right way, but we don't want to um, become overly judgmental, right? Because that makes us unable to participate in society. Right. And so, you know, we, we, that, that's kind of the, the position, I think, of Philon and of the play. Um, and it takes on a number of different forms. So it's not just Philon saying, hey, you know, be a little nicer. Um, it also comes in, uh, in the form of um, Arsinoe. Do, do you remember that scene? Arsinoe is the kind of older woman who wants to seduce Alceste um, and she comes in on page I don't remember off the top of my head which is oh here we are so this is 3-5 act 3 scene 5 um, and Arsinoe comes in and is talking to uh, Cleomont about um, you know kind of about her behavior so three five. This is page uh, five thirty nine and five forty. Um, and what we have here is um, is this older woman giving this younger woman advice. But really, what she's doing is competing with this younger woman for Alcest's hand. Uh, and so this is the top of uh, five forty. Here's line thirty one. Um, the saints preserve me from a thought so low, but mere good conscience never did suffice. One must avoid outward show of vice. Madam, you're too intelligent, I'm sure, to think my motives anything but pure um, in offering you this counsel, which I do out of a zealous interest in you. Um, and the the idea here is her, her counsel is don't be so openly flirtatious, right? Um and then uh, a little later, a few lines later, Cleomont responds, this is on line um, 115. For my part, madam, I should like to know why you abuse me everywhere you go. Is it my fault, dear lady, that your hand is not, alas, in very great demand? If men admire me, if they pay me court, and daily make me offers of this sort, you'll dearly love to have them make to you. How can I help it? What would you have me do? If what you want is lovers, please feel free to take as many as you can from me. 
So we have the, this this kind of battle here between this this older person who's kind of giving her advice and Clément. And what? How does this scene? This kind of I'm going to give you advice how to be how to act more um, uh, more more chastely. And then Clément's response of um, uh, you know no I I really don't want to. I'm going to act how how I want to. Um, how does that fit into this? kind of idea of um, tolerance and acceptance that is started in the first act. Okay. Well, well, what's going on in the scene? Let's start there. So this is, this is act three. Um, num- you know, there's a number of scenes. Every time somebody enters, there's a scene break. That's just how, how the play is organized. And so in scene five, um, enters or exits. <laughs> so when, when people leave, we have a new scene. Uh, so in uh, scene five, uh, Clion and Alcaste uh, I'll cast go out uh, and then we're left with Arsinoe and Cliamon. Um what does Arsinoe want? It's Act Three, Scene Five. So we have a, a conversation between these two women. Um, and Arsene, uh, excuse me, Arsene, Arsene, she wants, um, she wants Alceste, right? So I pronounced the name wrong again. Arsinoe. Arsinoe, it's four syllables. She wants Alceste. She wants the main male lead, the misanthrope. And um, she sees, rightly so, Clément as her rival. Um, and so 
she's telling Clément um, sort of jealously that she shouldn't act so flirtatious with people. Um, and Clément is kind of responding, I'll act however I want, you can act however you want. Um, and, and so there, there's, again, another kind of, um, a, a different type of chiding going on on the part of Moliere, of people who act, um, people who sort of instruct others in how to, in how to act that is, let's say, opposite or opposed to the courtly way. Uh, so there's a lot of, even though there's a lot of uh, kind of social manners that are structured, there's also a lot of tolerance that's, that is available or open within this kind of courtly space. Um, and it seems like Moliere has an appreciation for that. So you should tolerate people's foibles. Um, you should tolerate their folly. This is what uh, uh, Philant is trying to explain to Alceste. And then here we have, you know, this kind of uh, uh, intense sexual regulation that's going on on the part of Arsinoe. And the play also here seems to be touching on this idea of, no, that's, you know, you're kind of an idiot if you attempt to point out those foibles as well, um, that that kind of behavior is fine. And, it, it, you know, if you don't like it, you can leave. I mean, you know, Clément more or less literally says that. Um, and so the, the, I'm trying to draw a connection here between um, between different uh, kind of castigating behaviors or different ways in which characters kind of tisk-tisk or scold other characters, right? It, it's really, even though it's, it's a play about this society of manners, the, you know, these ways in which you treat other people, um, you know, these kind of social roles. At the same time, it is a play about how these, um, how these social roles, these kind of regulated social roles, actually have a lot of freedom built into them, and how they require a great degree of tolerance on, behalf, on behalf of the other people in those spaces. So that was that's one of the main themes in this play is this sort of middle ground between um, tolerance and these kind of regulated manners and how these regulated manners can even allow for these kind of pockets of of tolerance and pockets of freedom. Um, and yeah, so that that I think is, is one of the major themes to, to kind of look at and see how that theme is how that theme is used, questioned, pushed against throughout, throughout the play. Um, so what else do we have here? So let's, uh, let's jump then to page 533. Um, and we have here the, uh, the, one of the one of the more minor conflicts between Alceste and Oran. Alright. Um and Oran has uh Oran comes to Alceste and he wants to present something to him. And what what does he want to present to him? 
So this is this is Act One, Scene Two, going from page five thirty-two to five thirty-three. Yeah, it's a, it's a sonnet. So Arant comes to us as he wants to to present this sonnet, um, and and what happens just in terms of of plot, what happens? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Al Alceste is then incredibly honest, um, and the and and Arant reveals he actually isn't asking for honesty. Um, what he wants is praise. And how do we know that Arant really had no interest in honesty? What happens later on in the play that reveals that? So what is, does Arant just drop it after he leaves? Exactly, yeah, he sues him. And so what we learn, uh, the, the law case occurs offstage. But, you know, Arant sues him and we learn that Alceste loses because he can't m maintain decorum in court that he acts very harshly or very badly. Um, and so, you know, when um, when Alceste is critiquing the poem, you know, he again, he isn't participating in this, this kind of court life, right? He, he's, he's pushing away someone, um, you know, in this case, Iran. And so, what we, what ends up happening? He gets sued. He loses because he can't maintain. You know, he can't maintain. Um, he can't maintain his temper during court, and uh, and therefore he's kind of forced into a position of apology, even though he refuses to to apologize. Um, and so, yeah, and and so that's that's what's happening here. Um, why do you think that's important for the larger play?
Okay. Well, well, let's let's think about that. Um, we'll we'll put that down, and let's take a look at um, at Act Two, Scene One, uh, and and talk about when uh, Clément uh, comes in and and is talking with Alceste. Um, and he's upset because she's been showing interest to someone else. And uh, that is uh, uh, Cliton, Cliton, I think is how you say it, um, who, who he comes in later, Cliton. And, you know, this man Cliton interests you so greatly because of what high merits do you deem him worthy of the honor of your esteem? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And why does she say she shows interest in him? So this is page 534, and her response is starting on line 43. Mm-hmm. So she's she's using him for influence because you're much mistaken to resent him so why I put up with him you surely know my lawsuit's very shortly to be tried and I must have his influence on my side and so there's she's going to court also she you know there, there's some the, the what the suit is about is never made clear I don't even know if it's brought up again uh, but she is also in a position where she has to go to court and deal with something. And then we see in, I think it's still Act 2, right? Act 2, scene 7, is when the guards come for Alceste to take him to court. Uh, and so, again, we have uh, another kind of foil situation going on. But this one in terms of um, uh, uh, Cleomont and Alceste and their relationship to to the court. Um, Cleomont is very is fine kind of flirting with people because she understands you need influence in order to deal with with law cases when they come up and what we learn about Alceste is he has he's so little interest in in flattery that he won't even do it you know to save his to save his skin um so again we have another kind of pairing another kind of dyad um of of law in this case of law cases right we have the the law case that Alcest becomes involved in because he's insulted the sonneteer and then we have this sort of unknown law case which requires Cleomont to sort of build relationships to build society and so it seems like the the way legal theory functions in this play or legal not legal theory legal process functions in this play is that it requires you to kind of network and and socialize to have any kind of standing when it comes to when it comes to court um that's kind of you know another detail that that is brought out and that's the you know the minor conflict in this play is we have uh, the major conflict which is Alcest wants to to romance and marry uh 
Cleomont, and then this this minor conflict is this this law case, which gets resolved in Act Four. Um, and so let's see, last thing to talk about. Um, let's talk about the this. It's a very short scene because um, we don't have a tremendous amount of time. On page five thirty eight. Uh, this is, we've talked about this a little bit, Act 3, Scene 1. And this is between um, Cleon and Acaste. Uh, Acaste. And these are two people who are kind of um, both wooing uh, Cleomont also. Every, everybody's wooing Cleomont or everybody's trying to woo Alceste. They're the two, they're the two hot people in this play. So... What is actually happening in in this scene in three one? So the the literal plot is is what. Yeah, it's a cast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cleon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Cliton is, is saying, you know, um, well, so many ladies hold you dear. Why do you press so hopeless a courtship here? Uh, and so they have this kind of the, a little bit of an argument. Um, Cliton says, do you think then our hostess favors you? I've reason to believe that that is true. How do you come to such a mad conclusion? You're blind, dear fellow. This is sheer delusion. And, and uh, Acoste says... All right, then. I'm deluded. I'm blind. And so they come to the this kind of sympathetic ending, which is that um, that they should have an armistice. And whoever she picks, they'll both kind of agree that that's fine. You know, no, that's a bargain that appeals to me with all my heart, dear Marquis. I agree. You know, end of scene. Um, what did you guys think of that? And think of that sort of that that compromise that these guys come to at the end of this scene in relation to the rest of the play. So since we're we are technically out of time, I'll, I'll sort of you know give my kind of kind of was interested in what you you guys thought of that scene because it's, it's a very small and very odd scene. Um, but I do think that the the misreading of this play is to think of it as all dog-eats-dog, right? That, you know, the court is all about um, stepping over someone to get your way. And I, I think very often when these characters are socially enough aware that there is a, a kind of deep current of tolerance that the court permits, you know, I've said this a few times, um, and what we see here is that when these people choose to engage each other, 
they can kind of come to a compromise, even though their interests are 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 at loggerheads with one another. And so I think this scene reflects the, the greater world of the court um, outside of Alceste's kind of narrow view that everything is just flattery and vice. Um, and I think this is, you know, this is the behavior kind of Moliere probably admires more. And I think the sort of the prudishness or the scolding is what he, he despises. Um, but but anyway, I will let you go since it's it's after time. And um, so on Friday, again, uh, I'll post this, but you read The Rough Theater, so chapter three, and then we'll also finish this play as well. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.